Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 54, Interstellar Movie Review. Chris McBrien here. This is Pop Goes Your World, a pop culture podcast for the generations. And this is a big show. I say that a lot. I don't. I get that. But this is a big, big show because if you've been listening the last couple of weeks, we've had a guest, a wonderful guest of ours, caveman Derek Myers, has sat in for Yancey Eaton. But ladies and gentlemen, this week is an important one because, yes, he is back. Ladies and gentlemen, Yancey Eaton. Chris Kerr, let me just say it feels it feels so good to be back and this is one of those things where I love doing the podcast. It's never felt like something I, I was obligated to do. I've always just wanted to do it. I wanted to be a part of it and I always looked forward to it. But having time to, you know, against my will, but being pulled away from the show for a little bit for about six weeks before you and I or since you and I last recorded together, um, it really made me have like a, a refound like re- appreciation for the show and what we have here in our audience. And uh, I know, you know, we have a show to do real quick. I'll try to be very, very brief, but no, um, tell just, us how, how I, are you I, doing? Everybody wants to know how you're doing, buddy. <laughs> Well, um, I kind of said something off the cuff as like a joke about like, you know, we'll be doing another podcast barring like the hurricane, not like killing us all. Um, luckily, none of, nobody in my family did die, but um, we did take on some damage at my house. There was some flooding. Um, actually, two weeks before Hurricane Irma hit Florida, um, my neighborhood had severe flash flooding, which is incredibly uncharacteristic for the area. Um, so I was already dealing with that beforehand. Um, I was dealing with a leaky roof and a really contractor and lots of issues with that. And then Irma came around and just really tore us up pretty bad. I mean, tore up my fence, my house flooded. You know, I have all hardwood floors and, you know, all the drywall and roofing and ceilings, everything like that had to be, you know, I'm still working on it basically. Um, so that's why I've been away from the podcast. There's just lots of stuff going on. Um, my store where I work uh, was almost completely destroyed. The roof was ripped off of it. The whole store flooded. Um, lots of stuff going on. You know, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a turbulent time. I'm not trying to say like, you know, woe is me and look at all the stuff I have going on because there are people who are doing much much worse like my sister for instance she basically lost everything in her house it was up to her chest with water so um i'm thankful to be back but that's just kind of where i've been but um i do want to just say a couple quick thank yous to all the listeners of the show um you know you guys nominate us for a podcast award you guys put us up as finalists you guys are tenacious in your love for the show and you guys always reach out to us and the number of people um that reached out to me individually man i'm actually like getting emotional which is really weird um the last six months or the last six weeks has been super, super stressful for me. Probably the most stressful point in my life. And uh, just all these people who you don't even think really care that much about the show that reached out to me individually, just asking how I was doing and if I needed anything and people offering me money and, you know, and time and people would come down or giving me a place to stay. Like, Chris, you reached out to me and said, hey, any, dude, I will come pick you up from the airport. I'll buy your ticket. You can come stay with me, you and your wife dozens of people reached out to me like that and it i'm i'm running super super long here but especially thank you to those people thank you to those people um thank you to you chris chris sent me a really really awesome canadian themed care package i don't know if you guys saw on twitter tons of canadian candies and swag and and shirts i've worn that shirt like 16 times already chris the canadian flag it's like it's it's awesome um 
you know, so thank you for that. Thank you to your family. Thank you just everybody, even to Derek for, for stepping in and never miss a beat. It's no secret. Derek has a lot more polish than I do. Uh, caveman, I should say. He has a lot more polish. He's really, really good at this. And the show didn't fall off at all in my absence. I actually think it was a little bit better, to be honest with you. I listened to both episodes. Um, but really, just thank you to everybody. I, I, I don't know how to wrap this up, but um, really, really stressful six weeks. I'm coming out of it, and uh, it feels good to kind of get back into this thing. So I can't I can't stress enough how much I love doing this, how much, you know, Chris, you and I have become really, really close friends. You're one of my absolute best friends. And just to get back into this, it feels great. So what's new with you? Well, you said you don't know how you're going to wrap this up. I'll tell you what. You know how you're going to wrap it up? How am I going to wrap it up? Welcome back. Thank you. Thank Welcome you very, back. very much. It's so good to have you back. And like you said, yeah, Caveman did a great job. You know, he's phenomenal and he's a regular guest on the show and he'll continue to be a regular guest, I'm sure, in the future, um, mm-hmm. you know, joining us for lots of fun. But it's just not the same without you. And uh, I mean, that's the whole point of the podcast is like the Gen X versus millennial thing. So, I mean, we got that going on. So it's all good. So very true. can I say one more thing, too? Of course you can. Um, you know how I like to I, I get super emotional about, uh, you know, musical artists and stuff that I had a connection to early yep. in life. And I always tie it to like family and stuff. And I know this kind of seems like I'm just being conveniently upset about every artist that passes away. But my mom and I like the one bond we had growing up was Tom Petty. It was always playing in our house. It was I mean, it's on the Mount Rushmore as far as like Americana goes right up there with like Dylan. And, you know, it's it's really, really sad that he passed away. And especially at like a time when he did, whenever there was so much else going on in the world, like. Uh, I feel like he didn't get his proper due. Um, if this, you know, if, if the hurricane hadn't come and when I was able to record earlier, I would have loved to have done an entire show just on Tom Petty because uh, that was another like seminal loss in my family. That's something that we're still kind of grappling with. It's it's weird seeing people that you kind of grew up listening to and then they leave you and then you're left with like this really weird void of trying to figure out what it all means. But um, I just wanted to give like a tip of hat to him. I know it's kind of corny, but um, Tom Petty was like huge all. in my family. So I don't know how much you listened to him when you were growing up, but it I was, did a lot. And the thing that always got me about uh, about Tom Petty was I always felt that he was a little, and this might sound crazy. Tell me if I'm wrong here. I always felt he was like a little underappreciated. Like he yes. didn't he didn't quite get that that due that, that that I think he deserved. Like he was phenomenal. Yep. And when you think back on his his work as kind of like a body of work, man, that's pretty like pretty pivotal and i think you hit the nail on the head with this americana thing like yeah like when you think of a song some of his songs and like oh man oh man that's that's an iconic guy and you know what what he he was able to do with such few words he was all about simplicity and um talking about you know just him not getting his credit like he he was doing that type of um almost like folk rock like folk country at a time whenever everybody was moving you know towards you know, punk rock. And there was all these different elements of rock that were springing up to where like what he was doing almost seemed dated. It seems like it was something that would have been for, you know, 10 or 15 years earlier. So he never kind of fit into that mold as far as like an artist goes. You know what I mean? He always felt like he was lagging behind, but his music was always adapting. Like I said, it was always just painfully beautiful songs. I mean, even some of his later stuff, which doesn't get as heralded as like Full Moon Fever and some of his earlier albums, um, even stuff like Wildflowers, um, you know, or in the early 90s, whenever he was battling like heroin addiction and he left his longtime wife, his house burned down like a crazy fan burned his house down. He was still making some of the most resonant and like emotionally just piercing and beautiful songs and um man everything is getting me emotional tonight chris can you t- I, I, like my voice keeps cracking i know normally no. i sound like a 12 year old boy but like every, <laughs> everything is giving me the, honestly chris this is like a just just say just say it's puberty hitting and we'll just leave it, it at that it's puberty hitting me like this makes me feel like assume this podcast chris this is like a 
this is like a quality like comfort thing for me this is like my comfort food you know what i mean oh so, like, yeah it's fun to do of course to I'm finally get to this point where like i can sit down and like talk about something like this with you and to the audience to be able to like listen in on it it's kind of reassuring to me it makes me feel like hey you know what this was a really rough season of your life but everything's gonna be okay moving forward so exactly. um that was a really really long intro so why don't you uh why don't you get us back on track okay no problem at all well one of the things i wanted to mention too i don't know if it's, i'm gonna sound any different next week i guess you'll have to tell me because i have some new podcast gear on the way i'm redoing the studio here here up in uh, canada yeah. so Fair one enough. of the things that i one of the things no surprise to a lot of people listen to the show is yancey and i one of our loves outside of pop culture is fantasy baseball so every year um at the end of this the, the season i Generally, I'm not bragging or anything, but like I generally do pretty good with fantasy baseball. Chris is so. good, guys. Chris, no, he's no, no, burying the league. Chris is pretty freaking good. He beats me almost every single year. So I took my last year. I took my winnings and I took the family to Great Wolf Lodge for a couple of days, and they love that. And so this year, I decided I'm going to do something for myself. So I took my winnings this year and I bought all brand new podcast equipment. It comes next week. I got wow. a new, I got new microphone, new pop filter. I got new like boom mic stand. I got the whole thing coming. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what I sound like next week. Maybe I sound a little bit different. I don't know. So so you're saying the discrepancy between how good you sound and how bad I sound that chasm <laughs> is going to be even greater. Thanks a lot, Chris. A wider chasm. I'm sorry <laughs> to do that to you. Uh, anyway, on that note, would you like now that you're back? We get to go back to our regular format, which is going back and forth. Uh, one of the things that we often do is we we give each other a movie. And before you know the obviously you know everything happened with Irma, uh, you had challenged me to watch Interstellar, which is one of your favorite movies of all time. So I went ahead and watched it. So yep. are you ready to get started with our, our review? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, let's go. I didn't see it back in 1984, obviously, because I wasn't porn. There was basically one way for young teenage boys to see boobs. Oh, my. Chris, this is a hard endorse. Millennials can see boobs whenever they want. My least favorite movie that you have recommended for me to watch. The Love Boat. A movie that did not age particularly well. Back in the 70s and 80s, you know, Yancey. Frontal nudity. There was not the same level of grooming in hygiene that exists now. (laughs) Or topless women. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's my uncle up there. I am so proud of you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I think maybe I should try and watch a millennial show. Okay, so like I mentioned, Interstellar was the movie that was given to me since it was your film that you challenged me with, and it's a millennial film. Obviously, do you want to start us off? Because you have mentioned this movie probably right from the beginning that when we started doing this podcast. You've mentioned Interstellar numerous times on the podcast, so I know that you really, really love it a lot. So do you want to just kick things off for us, maybe just talk a little bit about the movie, why it's important to you, and why you decided to pick it and challenge me to watch it? Sure, absolutely. Let me read the first opening sentence of uh, Wikipedia because it's a little bit more concise than I am. So Interstellar is a 2014 epic science film. It was directed, co-written, and produced by Christopher Nolan. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this, but it's Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain, Casey Affleck, and like a whole bunch of other actors. The casting in this is, is absolutely phenomenal. It's set in like the very, I don't want to say very near future, but a, a semi-near future. And uh, basically, like the Earth's, e- you know, ecology, all, all everything as far as the environment goes is about to collapse. Crops aren't growing. Um, it's basically a gigantic dust bowl, and life on Earth is looking less and less sustainable by the by the year, basically. Um, and so, what this movie does is, it's uh, basically NASA has gone completely dark. They lost all their funding or most of it, and it's basically a covert operation where they are trying to find ways to save humanity, um, whether by creating you know spaceships that will go out and look for other habitable planets or um, you know like a genome project where they basically you know put a bunch of human genomes and throw it out into space and hope for the best um, and so we're kind of grappling with this where uh, Matthew McConaughey's character he basically goes out and he starts looking for these planets to find Earth a new home um, it's 
as far as a plot goes, it's not super, super creative. Um, but I think the way that they depict uh, certain you know, astronomical elements and stuff in it and uh, just <laughs> how incredibly beautiful it is and how seamless and uh, how it really touches on really specific, um, you know, things with physics and, you know, stuff like singular or not singular, but uh, just relativity and gravity and the space part of it is what really does it for me. This is one of my favorite films of all time, Chris, but I will be the first person to admit that mm -hmm. this this movie does have some issue. Um, there are some things about it that aren't absolutely perfect. There's things that I wish that they had done different from a narrative or from a plot standpoint. Um, but as a whole, like I said, the, the, the sheer, the visual aspect of it, it it's enough for me to be able to overlook a lot of its inefficiencies. Um, so you watched it, obviously. Yep. Um, I am scared to ask you this, as I always am with all my films. But <laughs> so, what did you think of it? Did you enjoy it? Was it was it something you kind of would pass on, or what? Well, let's get into this a little bit. Like we, you mentioned off the top of the show, that uh, it's been six weeks since we did a show together, right? Right. And funny enough, that's about how long it took for me to watch this movie. Uh, <laughs> it is really long, man. It is so yep. so so long. Um, so I don't know. How do I get into this? Um. I'll just be honest. I'm not going to lie. I didn't. I didn't like it. I just. Okay. I, I didn't enjoy it. And, and and for me, there's a lot of reasons why. I'm probably going to get lots of hate emails again. I thought it was interesting that it's a space movie with no UFOs or no aliens or no space battles, and that's okay. That's cool because mm -hmm. I like 2001: A Space Odyssey, which this movie is kind of reminds me of a little bit. Uh, and we'll get into that a couple a couple more times tonight. Uh, I thought there was a lot of uh, parallels between uh, Nolan and Kubrick, but we'll get into that a bit later. Uh, but overall, the movie itself, I found it to be to be overly long um mm -hmm. i found the uh the storytelling to be very slow you know and deliberate which i, I guess was the point um i don't, oh man i don't know it was I, let me just put it let me let me put it like this i i thought it was ironic that this this movie is really wrapped up in the concept of time okay Correct. especially in regard to how time moves at different intervals depending on where they were like remember the right. ast the astronauts were like an hour on this like planet in this wormhole but like seven years elapsed back on earth yep. and and for me i thought that this concept was interesting because in the three hours it took to watch the movie it felt like 12 hours or three months or <laughs> maybe like it was so slow <laughs> so it, for me it just really dragged on forever so yeah okay well so you thought it dragged on yeah from a plot standpoint did you was it something that you struck i'm not saying this to like insult your intelligence but a mm -hmm. common theme that i've noticed like when you read reviews that are slightly negative or people you know blasting the film online they all kind of say the same thing where it's like it doesn't make sense where they, they they feel like the plot itself has holes in it and like they're not explaining things they don't understand how like you mentioned with the manipulation of time they don't understand how basically like matthew mcconaughey's character is talking to himself in the past they feel like there's plot holes in that regard was it that you weren't grasping the plot itself because it is kind of you know it's not perfectly chronological was, was that an issue with it or was it simply like you said it was just too long and like the the big moments weren't big enough or it just wasn't resonating with you like what was it with it okay so the, the one of the big things about this movie for me and, it, and it's a criticism that i have and i think other people have about nolan too is i found it to be kind of cold and okay. i find his his filmmaking style to be kind of cold as well you know and mm -hmm. i know like nolan gets a ton of love from his fans i know uh, but i think if you take a look at his his movies as as a whole they are cold like they're very technically proficient like but to me there's no emotion in them like 
technically proficient, but emotionally devoid. You know, I think okay. that's how I would describe Christopher Nolan as a director. So, and I thought that was really at play here. I felt that the movie was kind of cold and it, and it just, I didn't resonate. It didn't resonate. The characters didn't resonate. Um, the, the, like you said, the plot, I got the plot. I understood what they were trying to do. Okay. It's kind of a different concept. Okay. I can go with this. I thought mm-hmm. when he came back and then they started bending the time space continuum and when he was in the bookshelf and he was floating there and all that, I thought, okay, this is really getting weird. Well, you know, like to, to me, <laughs> things got really trippy at that point, but I mean, still, right. okay, I still stay with it. I watch it. But for, so for me, the criticism wasn't so much the plot and how weird it was or, you know, how, how complex it was. I felt mm-hmm. the movie was kind of cold. I really wanted it. I liked it connect with characters that's one of the things i love about them the gen x movies that i throw at you some of these characters just resonate like you just they're so memorable and there's just something about them that makes them so unique and to me none of the characters in the movie i really related to the only one that i would say i related to was murphy the daughter right and and here's why because she aged 80 years during the movie and so did i (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) so i i I think the, the point that you mentioned about it being kind of a cold film um i think a lot of aspects to the film, that's almost by design, right? It's trying to, to show you this dystopian future where basically human beings scorch the freaking earth. You know what I mean? Like we did this to ourselves. Uh, the earth is literally crumbling around us. Like life as we know it is collapsing. So, you know, in a dystopian film like that, you know, an Armageddon type film, like that's the main emotion that they're trying to pull from you. But I do think like the relationship with him and his daughter uh, with Cooper and Murph, I, I think it is like one of the most strong, you know, elements of the entire film. Um, I like I, I wish they had done a lot of things differently with this film um, and with that relationship in particular. Like it feels kind of cheap to me that he goes through all of these things and there's so many different elements and, and you know, astronomical probabilities of them going out to these different places. And, you know, the way time is manipulated, how how long he's gone that, you know, whenever he comes out of the black hole, he's found by, you know, these space troopers within a couple of minutes. And by the time he returns back to their new found planet outside of this wormhole, his daughter, who's 90 something years old or 80 something years old, is literally minutes from dying. And he just so you know what I mean? Like, there's so many elements to that part where I feel like it's almost too convenient. It's too cute. And I can see why audience members would be like, well, this is kind of ridiculous. You know what I mean? Those parts of it, I don't appreciate. And I I feel like if I were the producer, if I were a director and I was editing this film, the entire part where he does end up meeting his daughter again, that would have been wiped clean from that. It would have been, you know, had he been picked up or had he made it back to this this new future, you know, colony that, that human beings have populated, you know, she would have been long gone, basically. You know what I mean? That would have been more realistic, not like nick of time, literally, you know, 90 years have have know years have amassed and basically she's still holding on for a dear life you know what i mean there's so many elements like that where it's just almost it's too cute and it's too unrealistic to believe so those are like narrative like actual plot driven things that i have a problem with um a lot of other people grappled with the actual science of it and they a lot of things that have come into question is the black hole itself right so I give Christopher Nolan a lot of credit with this. He actually partnered with astrophysicists and astronomers and mathematicians and a lot of people, and they did a lot of work on this to make the the numbers and the math and the actual visual representation as far as you know the best that we can do because we've never actually seen one with you know with a human eye. Um, I felt like it was just 
one of the most, if not the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in a movie in my entire life was this depiction of the black hole. I thought it was incredible. Um, I went and saw this th- this movie in theaters, Chris, like four or five times just because like I was so transfixed by how incredibly beautiful it was. And I mean, regardless of what you feel about Christopher Nolan's movies, like I get that from an emotional standpoint, like with Interstellar or with Dunkirk or with this film, there is that coldness to it. And I totally, totally agree with you on that part. But for whatever reason, like I feel like just because you know, the way he maps out these movies and the way that they look and the, the CGI, how it just it, it feels so real and you feel like you're immersed where this is actually taking place. Like, I'm willing to overlook like these minor things here or there, which I perceive as minor, but other people, you know, make a much bigger deal about them. But I feel like everything else that he does from a cinematography standpoint trumps all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like visually, like this is up there with like like avatar the night scene at in avatar you know what i mean like whenever i saw this like it blew my freaking mind and i just i had to see it again like i went back the next day by myself and my wife's like what the hell are you doing like we just spent like 30 dollars to see this in imax you know what i mean like i don't know I'm, I'm rambling at this point i don't know i don't know how to like send it back to you but well I mean, I, the, like, like i would i would say i would say this like you mentioned you know nolan and his films and and the thing is it's not the only one that's saying this i think he has a reputation for being a rather cold director and the thing yeah. is going into this movie i didn't know much about it the only thing that i did hear was that this was one of his movies that wasn't quite as cold this is the movie where he sort of showed some warmth you know and and i i, and I, I, I disagree and I, and he, and here's why because to me like you said you know the movie is visually stunning Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just looks incredible, but it's not grounded in anything sort of sympathetic. Like you mentioned, Earth is basically dying, but I don't you don't really care. I don't really care about the people. The, the characters <laughs> aren't sympathetic. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like there has. Yeah. To be, OK, so you mentioned, you know, Earth being done and kind of over with. But there was another movie that wasn't all that long ago. It's a millennial film that was all about Earth just sort of being dying and needing to move on. And that was Wally. And in and in that movie, I know it sounds crazy. Yep. Bear with me. But in that movie, like to me, there seemed like there was a heck of a lot more warmth. There was more of a heart in that movie. I don't know. That's true. Um, that's my take I, I, on I, it. I will say this, Chris. Like the the main theme, the 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 main point that he was trying to make towards the end of the film. And I, I don't know how much you you bought into this, but um, Anne Hathaway's character in it. Um, I actually forgot her name offhand. Um, I can't remember. But anyways, our brand. I'm sorry, Professor Brand. Yeah. Her character is the cold, analytical. We do things by the book. The most important thing is this mission, not human beings, not emotion. Like we are here to do a job, and that's what we're supposed to do, right? As the film progresses, she actually breaks down that that emotionally tough facade, and like she exposes herself as like a deeply emotional person. You see her cry multiple times. Like she's deeply emotionally invested in several characters, and the main theme that that the main message that Nolan pushes towards the end of this film is love, and it talks about how love is quantifiable and it is the most powerful force in the entire universe. It is the one thing that can that is more powerful than than gravity acting on time it's more powerful than anything associated with relativity you know what i mean and that was like the message it was love that triumphed that it was his love for his family it was the it was love for his daughter and for his son that that pushed him to do this which maybe it was too little too late to kind of you know make you care like you said like you didn't care about these characters and um i'm willing to you know take the l on that like he didn't there were so many characters that were just kind of throwaways you know what I mean? Like it was all supposed to be about like him and his daughter, but for ninety percent of the film, he's separated from his daughter. So, really, how how much do you know about that relationship? How invested are you in that relationship? So, like, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of like pandering to both sides of the aisle here, but like I do see what your points are, and it almost makes me like feel like I'm like 
the things I look for in a movie are so much different and how I value like what makes a good movie are so much more different than you. Like, like with you, Chris, it's clear that you care about you care about interactions between people and you care about an individual character and how developed that individual character is, right? You want to become super emotionally invested in them. Whereas with me, like I'm looking for more like almost like a macro type lesson, like something bigger that I can pull from it. And it's not necessarily about the characters. Does that make sense? No, no, absolutely. I just want to circle back to something you mentioned there that I think is interesting. And I think it's worth exploring a little further. And you were mentioning about how the character, I think it was when you mentioned Brand, um, Ken and Hathaway's character, about how yep. she's crying a lot. And so that sort of uh, was a depiction of the emotion in it. And I think that's worth talking about. Because to me, I think the movie is cold. And I think Nolan tries to, to I think he tries to almost overcompensate or overcome from from that, you know, frigidity of the movie by having his actors overdo it with the crying. Hmm. And, and for me, it just doesn't work. It's OK. So it's like that kid. Oh, what's his name? Freddie Highmore or something like that. There's a movie called August Rush. This is a terrible movie. My, I remember my wife dragged me to go see that stupid movie when it came out in theaters. It was painful. But I've not seen it. But here's the reason I bring it out, because at the beginning of that movie, there's uh, this kid is just sitting there. And then he just, he's talking to, um, he's talking to, I think it's Terrence Howard is the, the actor. And, 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 they're, and they're sitting there having a conversation and all of a sudden he just turns on the waterworks. Like for no real reason at all, other than the fact that the kid could do it, I guess. So the director felt it would be impactful, but it wasn't. And it, right. that, that remi- I was reminded of that scene when I watched this movie because it felt like that's what was going on here too. It felt like the director had the actors cry a lot in order to try and inject emotion into the movie but it all just fell flat for me mm. that's i don't know that's my that was a bit of my takeaway from it space is cold chris yeah i guess i guess <laughs> oh, but uh i just and, and i now i mentioned kubrick too uh who's obviously you know wonderful wonderful director we one we mentioned on the you know on the the podcast in the past do you, do you find any yep. any correlation between um between the two do you think uh nolan has obviously been inspired by kubrick or has a similar style or anything like that um, I think so. Um, I mean, a lot of Kubrick stuff is pretty ambiguous, and I think a lot of this film is left up for interpretation, which I do appreciate. I think, like I mentioned before, if he had chopped off the last 10 minutes and kind of wrapped it up in a different way where it was left more for interpretation, I think people would enjoy it a lot more, and it would be more in the, in the similar vein as Kubrick's films, you know what I mean, where you don't really know exactly what he's trying to say. And then would have arms, you know, with Interstellar, like he basically packages it up like super neatly. And then in, in the end, Earth is saved and he got to see his daughter. And then, you know, what I mean, it was it was almost too perfect for it to be believable. And like you mentioned, with like the crying and stuff, it's like he, he's trying to do both. He's trying to make like this cold, desolate future. But he's also trying to show like, you know, the, the love of humanity. And, and I don't know, it's I'll say with like with with like Kubrick and stuff, there's there's a lot of stuff here, like a lot of people basically claim that like he was ripping off like multiple people and we've talked about this before too about how basically everything is a remix and it's impossible to make something that is completely original where like the themes that are pulled from it weren't um you know derived from something else you know 10 or 15 years ago there's all kinds of fingerprints on like tons of different movies on this you know whether it be like um like like you mentioned like kubrick's like 2001 or you know like even like the robot in this film like tars um it's voiced by bill orwin it was the coolest uh interpretation of like a almost like a futuristic android, like a personal assistant that I've ever seen. It was like, it took on like a form of something that I've never seen in, you know, a science fiction film. I thought that was like absolutely amazing. And it was a a lot different than I thought from like, 
you know, from like Hal, you know, Hal 9000 was basically like the epitome of cold and lacking any sort of empathy or personality whatsoever. And Tars was the complete opposite. He was like this, this interesting, inquisitive, like he had a sense of humor. Um, I, I mean, I think that was one kind of thing that I would give to Christopher Nolan's character. You know, he did try implanting like these little elements of humanity and things that weren't like blatantly obvious, if that makes sense. But, um, Man, I'm really bad at transitions today. So, you didn't really like the film, which is okay, I guess. I love this film, and I, I do think that you bring up really good points to it. And I, I'm willing to acquiesce to the fact that it's not a perfect film, and there are things that kind of suck about it. Um, however, if I were still to give like a uh, you know like a one through ten grade, I'd probably give it like an 89. I'd give it like a B plus. I think from a plot standpoint, there's too much that kind of doesn't make sense there's some really long shot scenarios that all work out in the end and i think from an editing standpoint it could have been 15 or 20 minutes shorter and it would have been a much more enjoyable film especially for people like you who aren't super into this genre anyway so i'd probably give it like an 8.9 what did you what would you give the film uh let's circle back to that because i want to save that more toward the end i want to still want to touch base on a couple other things if i could because i thought you mentioned something interesting there i want to explore further about being okay. inspired by other directors and, and and you were saying how you know it seems like like almost everything that comes out is borrowed from someone else or kind of redone or whatever but in some ways that's okay I think Spielberg himself once said you know yeah the directors are you know afraid to come out right out and say hey I was inspired by Jaws but it's it's okay to be inspired by Jaws and if you look at someone like Spielberg or some of the the other directors from the 70s um, you know like they were inspired by people like Kurosawa or John Ford or Michael Curtiz so I mean they all had their influences right so I think it's okay that directors today are influenced by you know directors that came before them i think that's that's cool because they should mm -hmm. draw on that stuff and then put their own spin on it and kind of make it because this movie obviously would never have been made in the 70s obviously they didn't have the technology to do it um right. so would have to rely on you know a totally different things so but i think it's okay that that things can be redone a little bit it's for me the thing that i always get hammer on is when they try to do remakes remakes i don't like you know like when they're like, talking about, like full on remakes full out remakes film. yeah we're gonna remake revenge of the nerds no don't please don't um yep. but like like it's okay to be inspired by other directors i mean if, if i if, if i was gonna direct a film like absolutely it'd be impossible not to be inspired by other directors because you bring that into it you, you look at things like you know like what orson wells did in citizen kane who how can if you're interested in film if you're interested in being a, a film director you can't not look at citizen kane and go i, I gotta draw inspiration from that because it's just so perfect you know yeah so yeah it's okay i think it's that's perfectly fine i i do not fault him or any director in any way for for pulling on you know, stuff of others. It's and the other thing too is you know. You remember, obviously, you've seen the movie Gravity. I mean, that's right up your alley too, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I actually liked that movie. I actually liked Gravity. I thought it was very visually stunning. I thought it had suspense. It wasn't twelve hours long. You know, um, <laughs> sorry. Like I, I actually liked Gravity. I thought Gravity was pretty good. You know, I liked so. that a lot too. So let me ask you this. Okay, yeah. so let's. So both films are 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 loosely kind of the same type of film. Um, they both have a parent who's in space. They both, um, you know, Sandra Bullock's character um, loses a child. Spoiler alert. She loses a child and she's basically grieving while she's in space. That's something that she's grappling with. So, like, she was able to basically show us, like, how she's dealing with that and how she's coping with that. And even though we only see the daughter for very, very little and they're all in flashback scenarios, like, we understand it. And it is a super visceral attachment. And we are invested in it. Like, 
you didn't see that at all. You didn't see any type of similar connection between Murph and Cooper in that film or like that relationship didn't do anything for you because like it really, really did something for me was him and his daughter. But it also did it for me in Gravity, too. Like, do you not see those as even remotely similar or just as two completely different types maybe, of maybe maybe it comes down to the actors, maybe for me. Let me like, is that a possibility? Because I've never been I'll come right out. I've never been a big fan of Matthew McConaughey. Never have been. Don't like him. Yeah. Just turns me off. So um, so maybe that's part of it. Whereas I really like um, with Gravity, I like Sandra Bullock and I like um, um, George Clooney. So mm-hmm. I just I think they're both excellent actors and they and they have a, an ability to kind of pull you in a little bit more. So maybe maybe it was maybe it was miscast. Maybe hmm. maybe, maybe it was a casting issue that they those actors just didn't have it to pull me into that. That's interesting. That might that might might have been it. I don't know. I I I put a little bit more blame at the feet of the director personally, but but maybe maybe that was part of it too. Hmm. Okay, you, fair you, enough. You one thing that has come up on the, this podcast over and over again is the this idea of the rewatchability of certain mm-hmm. movies and how you know you know I can watch certain movies over and over and over again, and you know you you know mention how you watch movies over and over again, and and we do it for different reasons. I watch movies from Gen X over and over again because I they're so like I get to know the lines over and over, and it's very familiar, and it's the same thing. It's the repetition over and over, and that's what I love. And the thing you love about millennial films is you're getting something new every time out of this, which I can understand. Right. I could watch this movie a hundred times and still get stuff out of it because it's just so complex and there's so much going on. But I would say the only way you could get me to watch this movie over and again would be with a wheelbarrow, a roll of duct tape, and an ether <laughs> rag. Because <laughs> I just couldn't do it. I couldn't sit through it again. I'm sorry. I just couldn't. And that's so wild. And we always end up coming to this conclusion, like, yeah. at the end. And it's just because, you know, we are, like, incredibly different people. I don't know how much of that we can chalk up to just, like, the pure generational gap. Because there's going to be a ton of people who would much rather watch Stripes or Airplane than they would watch Gravity or Interstellar. You know what I mean? And that's <laughs> not necessarily firmly in that general- camp, obviously. So. Yeah, that's not necessarily a generational thing. I mean, maybe to an extent. Maybe you're more likely to find people of my, you know, closer to my age group that would like movies of the similar ilk. But I don't know. It's something to explore. Like, you know, it, it's interesting. Like when we have Caveman on, like he and I actually seem to have like closer alliances when it comes to film tastes than you, the two of you do. You know what I mean? That's a really small sample size that we're dealing with here talking about three different people. But um, I, I think it's just personal preference. I really do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, we, it's easy yeah, okay. for us to uh, to kind of paint it with a, a, you know, a wide swath and say, well, it's just it's a generational thing. And I think mm-hmm. you're, you're maybe right. It's a little bit more of a personal thing, you know, like, uh, and I don't, I'm not saying that I generally, it's funny because, you know, it's almost like we're saying, like, I generally like easier to digest films, simpler movies that are just, you know, but really everyone that I know that knows me personally is like, <clears throat> think of me as the biggest movie snob ever because I just love film like like and that's a, that's something that we got to do. OK, so I got to challenge you to this. We get we've got to do an episode where because, you know, to me, there's and, and tell me if this totally uh, as an aside, tell me if I'm crazy. I believe that there's movies and I believe that there's films. Okay. I've never, I've literally never thought about that before. I, be, I I'm, believe I'm because, because to me, a movie is like Jurassic Park, you know, something that's like, like really entertaining and, you know, something mm-hmm. you just love. Raiders of the Lost Ark is a great movie, you know? Um, but then I believe that there's what, what I would call films. And these are like serious, serious film, film as an art form. Things like Citizen Kane is a film. You know what I mean? Um, yep. Star Wars Schindler's, is a movie. Schindler's List is a film. film. You know what I mean? and, and, and I don't mean that just to be serious because I think there's probably some comedies. If I look back and said something like Modern Times, to me, that's still a film because it's just incredible. 
with the art in it that so I think we need to explore that in a future sh- uh, a podcast. What do you think? I love that idea, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and preface it now by saying you are definitely a movie guy, and I'm definitely a film guy. <laughs> yeah, obviously, but the thing is, like, some of the films, let me put things in perspective. Like, I remember when my wife was pregnant with our first child, and she was getting ready to go into labor. When she went into labor, when she actually went into labor, and I had to stop what I was doing and get her to the hospital, you mm-hmm. know what I was doing? I was watching Grand Illusion. What is that? It's a French film. It's in French. It's got subtitles. It's about the war. It's about, you know, relationships between different echelons of society. And like, this is what I I love to watch this kind of stuff. So it's so funny that, but this podcast seems to be all about the movies that I love that are like Stripes and, you know, Ghostbusters and all this kind of stuff. But really at its heart, I'm like, like, I love film too. So honestly, Chris, when you said Grand Illusion, I thought we were going to talk about sticks. Yeah, no, (laughs) no. (laughs) You'll have to look it up sometime and watch Grand Illusion. It is like, it's it's so good. It's you watch. Okay. It's just like art. It's like watching art, like an incredible painting. But it, but it's, but it, oh, it's just phenomenal. But I'm down. Uh, I'm yeah, down. Well, we'll we'll definitely have to look at something like that. But uh, anyway, so uh, it's been six weeks. Do you think maybe we could uh, put aside a little time to have some fun with Yancey? I'm uh, down and I'm ready to do just as mediocre as I always do. So well, I, what I've done is, again, <laughs> usually, and, and by the way, I thought it was interesting. Last week I had Caveman on, as you know, and then he asked me trivia questions. He's like, well, I want to get back at you because some of them were really hard. And he's like, I want to get back at you because you always put Yancey on the spot and ask him questions about your movies that he has no idea about. And I'm like, whoa, hold yep. on a second. That's not what we do. <laughs> I ask him questions about his movies and then you ask me questions about my movies, right? So the idea is that you know this movie, you love this movie, so the questions should be right up your alley. It's, I'm not trying to, it's not like I'm asking you questions about, you know, the making of Airplane or something like that. So, <laughs> but anyway, okay, so I got some questions for you. Are you ready, my friend? Yep, let's do it. Okay, so Matthew McConaughey, we mentioned him already, obviously starred in this movie, um, and he's obviously established himself as a major Hollywood actor. Now, we all mm-hmm. got to start somewhere, Yancey. Can you name the movie My, Matthew McConaughey made his film debut in? Uh, think of an old movie. He's been around for a while, hasn't he? Yep. It was 1993. Um. Oh, wow, I can't think of anything even remotely close to that. I'll say, like... No, that was like in the early 2000s. I don't know, Chris. I got to pass. It's Dazed and Confused. Wait, what? Dazed and Confused. I've seen that movie once, and I don't remember him being in it. Are you sure? Oh, my goodness. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> this is All the right. best ever. <laughs> so, yeah, he's in Dazed and Confused. You can go back and you look it up on IMDb or whatever the hell you millennials do to find shit. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, Michael Caine, the legendary Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. And, of course, director Christopher Nolan. They worked together on this movie, obviously. But believe it or not, this is the sixth film that Michael Caine and Christopher Nolan have worked on together. So that obviously means by process of elimination, they've done five other movies together. Yancey, all I'm going to do is ask you to name two of the other movies that both Michael Caine and Christopher Nolan have done together. All right, so I know definitely The Dark Knight. Yes, that's one. Definitely Batman Begins. He was Alfred as well. There you go. You got two. Could you name any more to get some bonus um, Inception, one of my favorite films of all time. He plays Miles. Yes. And uh, our good buddy, Sammy Reed, he's been on the show too. And I know I mention him every show, but uh, he got me. He begged me for like months and months. He's like, you have to watch The Prestige. It is an amazing, amazing film. Like, please watch it. And I kept like basically like him the cold short. And finally I did. And he's on The the Prestige as well. He's uh, 
he's like the assistant or whatever. He's like their their traveling assistant or whatever. I can't remember what his name is, but he is in the yeah. Prestige. So that's four. There's one more. It's another Batman movie. Do you know what the the third Batman movie is? Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and then what was the third one? I don't know. What is it? The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, that's you. You're cheating. That's what? Basically cheating. <laughs> it's another movie. You millennials keep making these freaking movies over and over again with sequels. They got to count, right? Okay. Yeah. So Christopher Nolan, we talked about him a lot tonight, and he's obviously established himself as uh, one of the premier directors in, in the business, right? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, as I mentioned, just the same with Matthew McConaughey. He started somewhere. So uh, can you name the first film that Christopher Nolan ever directed? Mm. I, wow. I don't think this is right, but it's, I think it's the oldest one I can remember. Is it Memento? Memento is the one that I think a lot of people think is where he made his directorial debut, but it's not right. Sorry. So, no, his first feature length movie uh, he directed was in 1998, and it was called Following. Oh, I'm Hmm. not even remotely aware, so. Okay, good on you, Chris. All right, Topher Grace. So we know him mostly from the 70s show, right? So Topher, that's a very unusual first name, Yancey. Um, um, and uh, so could you tell me, uh, do you know, what is Topher short for? Uh, my best friend of all time. He's been my best friend since fifth grade. His name is Christopher, but I've called him Topher or Toph for as long as I can remember. I assume it's Christopher, but I don't. Is it? Okay. Okay. Very good. well done. Okay. Uh, it seemed too easy to be right. But no, I guess. no, that's right. Because, uh, okay, so the, the the 2015 Oscars, Interstellar, was nominated for five Academy Awards, Yancey. Uh, none in the acting categories. But the year before that, Matthew McConaughey actually took home the gold as best actor at the Oscars for his leading role in a movie. Yancey, can you name the movie that um. Matthew McConaughey won best actor Oscar in 2014? It was, wasn't it the one where like he lost a lot of weight? He was like a, yep. he was like a transsexual guy or he had AIDS or something. Mm, I can't remember what it was called. It's the Dallas Buyers Club, but you were Man. on the right track. Yep. Definitely. Yep. So uh, Anne Hathaway, we'll, we'll leave, leave off with Anne Hathaway here. Yep. Uh, she's obviously in the movie uh, and she's been nominated for an Academy Award twice, actually once for best supporting actress and once for best actress. She actually took home the gold for one of those roles. Can you name the movie that Anne Hathaway won an Oscar for? Mm. I'll give you a hint. She won it for Best Supporting Actress. The Devil Wears Prada. No, she, I don't, she, was, <laughs> she was not in that movie. Was she, was she in that movie? I don't even know. I don't uh, know. No, it was Les Miserables in 2013. Oh, I she, did not watch that. She was uh, previously nominated in 2009 for Rachel Getting Married in the Best Actress category, but she lost to Kate Winslet in The Reader. But anyway, so uh, so anyway, I, I'm really glad that we had the opportunity not only just to get back together again after six weeks, which is, you know, fantastic, right? But, uh, mm-hmm. and, and they, obviously you're doing well and your family's doing well. This is wonderful. We know that. Yep. Um, but it was just nice to finally get uh, a movie in there that you love. This is one of your, you know, favorite movies of all time, as you mentioned. So it was nice to finally get it into the podcast and talk about it. Sorry if I disappointed you a little bit because I didn't really love it. You know, Chris, I have learned to deal with disappointment when it comes to you and movie taste. So this is this is just business as usual for me, to be honest with you. And I will say this. I'm not going to give it away yet, but I've been pondering what movie I want you to watch next. Mm-hmm. And I am going to you know, we did Lion King, which was a safe pick for me because everybody loves Lion King. It's awesome. But I want I'm going to find one of those movies that are closer to the actual movies that you like. And I'm going to see how that plays out. I'm going to see if it if it resonates with you like 
you know, the films of your days do. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Please do that for me. I went back and forth trying to figure out what movie I was going to challenge you for for next week. Um, I've given you lots of comedies. Um, it hasn't been all comedies. We, we did Blade Runner and Jaws and stuff like that. Um, so I'm, I really kind of was going back and forth and I wanted to go with another comedy, but I think mm-hmm. I'm going to go a different way. So I just a little bit about myself, Yancy. Back when I was a, when I, when I was a young lad, when I was a kid, when I was in high school, um, one of the things before I went on to university one of the things that I thought I was going to do with my life is I thought I was going to be a journalist. I, I, I always wanted to be a journalist when I was, Me when too. I was younger. Yeah, I just always, I was very, very yep. inspired. And, and the reason that I was inspired to want to become a journalist was because of two movies. One was All the President's Men. And I loved the book, too, by Woodward and Bernstein. And that inspired me. I was like, I want to be a journalist. I want to do what they did. And then the other one was a movie from 1984. And this is the movie that I'm going to get you to watch. I've mentioned it briefly on the podcast in the past, and I don't Mm -hmm. know if you remember it or not, but it's from 1984 and it's called The Killing Fields. And that's the movie that I want you to watch. It's The Killing Fields. So it basically is about the Vietnam War, but it's about what happens next door in Cambodia. And it, I just want you to watch it because this is one movie I'm going to let you a little, little tip off for next week. Because my wife and I watched it oh, a couple of years ago. I was like, you have to watch this movie. And so I made her watch it every single time I watch it. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I have no problem with divulging this to people. Every time mm-hmm. I watch this movie, at the end of the movie, I cry. Wow. Every single time I cry like a baby when I watch that movie. I don't know what do it you, is. Do you cry during the film or just uh, no, at the end of it? Just at the end. The very, okay. very end. I just cried like crazy I, I don't know what it is grown man watching a movie losing it every single time so and that movie inspired me I was like I want to be a journalist because of because of that film so anyway I want you to watch The Killing Fields from 1984 find it wherever you need to find it streaming services mm-hmm. or wherever you millennials find it or go to the go to the DVD bin at your local Target store you, you <laughs> one of those and, and find the movie and watch it so you okay with doing that I am totally okay with that. Just scrolling the IMDb page, I see it's it came out in 1984, which mm-hmm. it's a year that I've always romanticized because that's when my parents graduated from high school. Nice. And uh, it looks like it's rated R. It's over two hours long. This is like my type of movie, Chris. Let's do this. Yeah, it's it's something else, let me tell you. But, you know, we'll see what you think of it when you come back. Uh, so if anybody wants to get in touch with us, you can get a hold of us on Twitter at Yancey Eaton or at C. McBrien. Remember, McBrien is I-E-N. Or head over to popgoesyourworld.com. All of our contact information is there. Until next week, Yancey, it's so good to have you back again, by the way, buddy. Likewise. And once again, thank you guys for being such amazing, supportive people. I genuinely appreciate it. This has been absolute therapy, and uh, I can't wait till next week. Oh, yeah. Next week is going to be good. Hopefully, you're going to like the movie. But uh, until then, this is Chris O'Brien for Yancey Eaton saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 